now about talk is WRU's own call-in show for people contemplating things naval with your rusty anchors, Mike Joyce and Alan Sprague. As I said, it is a call-in show for people who would like to chime in. It's not hard. Just call 1-866-625-9378. This morning's pun involved uh, technical boat language about a hard chime. Yeah, hard chime. We should probably explain that. A chine um, is the shape of the hull of a boat. If you take a cross-section of the middle of a boat, it's more or less V-shaped with the, the sides that are out of the water more or less vertical. And if it's a hard chine boat, the V comes up and makes a, an angle and then goes straight up. And smooth, smooth chine boats or round chine boats have a more or less a gentle curve that goes from the, the bottom of the boat to the upper part. So I, th- I think of a chine as a corner. A corner, you know, yes. A, a, round, yeah, uh, a boat couldn't be round-bottomed. Or it can be round bottom, then come up to uh, an angle, and then go in a different direction. That's your chine, your that, corner. That's the chine. So anyway, one of the things about boat talk is that uh, it is a sort of specialized subject, boats. And uh, one of the favorite things that people say about boat talk is, I don't know nothing about boats, but I like that show. So, you know, we, and we try to keep it uh, so that everybody can understand it. And uh, maybe you do, maybe you don't. And no matter what, we'd really like it if you give us a call this morning, the number here. One eight six 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 two five nine three seven eight. For the first time in a while, just Alan and I in here naked, alone by ourselves, so to speak. And uh, we have, as uh, as available for the last few years, have been delighted to have Giffy Full, a uh, uh, just classic, world famous, uh, world class marine surveyor. He's probably listening to us right now on this boat. Giffy could be. Giffy is, uh, last year, he has a little uh, lobster boat called Little Jim, and uh, last year he wanted to take it south to Florida on its own bottom in the water, you know, cruise down to Florida for the winter. Never quite got there. Um, You know, the boat just ended up in a building instead. Uh, The last-minute things didn't come together. So Giffy hopefully is leaving today. Now, that's if the refrigerator gets fixed this morning, so good luck with that, Giffy. And, uh, you know, happy, uh, you know, calm winds, fall and seas, uh, travel safe, all that. So Giffy's off to Florida this morning. And Alan and I, no guests this morning, just in here. And we can talk about whatever is on your mind. We've got a couple other things. And once again, we need you to give us a call anytime. 1-866-625-9378. I'll start off with a little story of a, a sailboat that is at the boatyard where I work. Um, it's a... A boat that hails from Hamden, and if you take a look at the boat on the port side, there's almost like a, looking at a cartoon, right? Just forward of the chain plates, which are the uh, the connections that hold the wires that go down from the mast to to the boat. There is a oh about two foot tall, maybe a foot foot and a half wide V, great big V shaped dent right into the side of the boat. And um, as you might imagine, what happened was the boat was uh, T-boned by a lobsterman. And this happened, you would think it probably happens in the fog, but no, it happened right in uh, on a nice, clear, blue sky day, in the middle of the day. That story will be hard to tell, so it's flattering to the person. <laughs> well, what this fisherman was doing, as a lot of lobster fishermen were doing, um, when they go to clean uh, their boat, they'll uh, turn the boat one way or another so that the water that they're spraying on their on their decks will run to one side or the other of the boat and out the uh, the drains at the back end of the boat. 
And this fellow was doing just that, driving by himself and uh, scrubbing down the back of the boat, not really paying too much attention to where the boat was going because he knew it was just going in circles and it wasn't really going to uh, go aground or anything. But a sailboat happened to be going by at the time, and uh, the sailboat was was under sail and uh, went to the stern of the lobster boat as it was going away. But the lobster boat turned in a big circle and started heading right back towards the sailboat and they realized what was happening when they saw that the uh, the fisherman really wasn't steering. He was couldn't just, get out of the way. <laughs> they just saw it coming. Yeah, I, I I don't know. It, it seems a little bit mysterious to me that they could not get out of the way. Um, usually, you can see when a boat is making a, a, a same radius curve that you could figure out more or less where it's going to wind up at a certain point of time, and you could just anticipate that and go one way or the other. But no, unfortunately, this boat was t-boned by the by the lobster fisherman fortunately he had insurance so everything's going to turn out all right but when your sails are up sometimes you are limited in the direction you can go i True. remember one morning coming back we we're on our way back from bermuda in an alden 54 and uh, we we're coming across george's bank in, at dawn and it was very foggy and we had been um about a day and a half with the spinnaker up i mean that thing just pulling like a freight train come on and the autopilot was broken, so we were hand-steering the whole way from Bermuda, which was horrible. But uh, we were on a day-and-a-half spinnaker run up to George's Bank with fog at dawn. And I didn't think that was cool because there's a lot of traffic there. And when the spinnaker's up, this... You're you, pretty much just going where the wind is Yeah, you've got to keep that thing full. You cannot dodge. Uh, you can't wrap the thing around the forest day. I mean, it could cost thousands of dollars yeah. to, to do the wrong move. So we come across George's Bank. I'm up by myself driving. And uh, here comes a fishing boat towing uh, right across us and I yelled for the captain come on up and he looked it over he I said what do you want me to do he says sail faster and uh, the guy obviously slowed down we crossed his bow and uh, we could have we could have shook his hand or spoken to him I don't think he was amused at yeah. all yeah. and uh, we were in the wrong as far as I was concerned there mm -hmm. so yeah well we have some phone calls already so let's uh, drop what we're talking about and get to these phone calls good morning welcome to boat talk Ah, uh, thanks. This is Fred in St. George. Hi, Fred. And as usual, I'm wondering about the school bus and Rough Eighth and how they're doing. We know a little bit about that, but um, on the Rough Eighth um, front, it's just there, he's in a holding pattern, I guess you would have to say. George is constrained by money, mm -hmm. um, I suppose, and uh, also by the fact that uh, winter's coming on. And um, let's face it, uh, he really did not make any progress on changing the rig this summer uh, aside from planning and uh, you know uh, thinking the whole thing out um, he needs money he needs stuff and he needs a lot of work to do and that's not going to happen this winter now is it mm. too bad yeah um, Mike tells me that when he spoke with George last time that George had asked that uh, if I had any questions for him specifically that I should email him so I did last week I, I sent an email letter to them to George saying um, with the in view of the great expense that you're going to have to go through to, to make your boat saleable, would he consider selling Raw Faith and maybe putting the money into something a little bit more uh, <clears throat> smaller and more manageable? Uh -huh. Unfortunately, we haven't gotten a reply from George on right. that question. Now, and I, in all fairness to Alan, I don't think that's a fair question either. Um, a, who's going to buy Raw Faith? Um, any boat needs just the perfect person coming along at the perfect time to fall in love with it. That's what you, I guess you'd call a character boat, um, you know, <laughs> kindly. 
and uh, who would who would come along and want that is is an interesting thing. And and uh, but that to me is not the big thing that makes that question somewhat inappropriate. Const uh, conceiving, constructing, and uh, living on that boat has changed George's life. Mm -hmm. I can't say that any stronger. Um, and I think he's fairly in his in his uh, own under port arrest in in Rockland Harbor way comfortable with his new life and and his new home there. And he still has those dreams, and you can't discount any of that. No, no. Yeah. Now, as far as uh, I've been talking to some people in in uh, Rockland, have you been out? To, have you ever talked to George? You ever been out to Raw Faith? No. Um, uh, I, I've just seen it at the dock uh, last summer, the summer before. Yeah. He talks about, uh, you know, doing boat tours, uh, being, uh, mm. you know, on a dock somewhere in New Jersey was his plan. Well, well. Uh, literally in Atlantic City at Donald Trump's marina. And uh, to bring the thing alongside and give tours of a tall ship and to uh, raise awareness and funds for that. Now, that's not going to really happen around here. And, uh, I, you know, you need allies. Mm -hmm. I, I always think of one of my fishermen friends who showed up here from away, and it didn't go good for him to, for him to begin with. Uh, you know, some of the other fishermen not willing to accept this person coming into their territory. Um, on the other hand, he did have a couple of good friends there, allies, so to speak, including one of the highliner fishermen, uh -huh. tell the other boys, hey, he's okay. Right. You know, and after time, he is okay. Yep. Um, but there are ways to, you know, there are ways to finesse that in other ways. And George just out in the harbor doing his thing, and not a lot of interaction between him and the people in the harbor is, I guess, what I'm saying. Huh. I find that unfortunate. Yeah, and it, it doesn't bode well for going to New Jersey or any place and uh, giving tours to his boat in a place where he could, uh, you know, uh, spread the word, make some bucks, and do his dream if he's not going to, uh, if he's not people-oriented and, and out there meeting people and being with them. Like I said, uh, tricky business, and, uh, you know, what would you do with Raw Faith, for instance? Wow. Well, I have, I have two possible suggestions of how Raw Faith could possibly be, um, uh, I guess, used is the right word. One is as a movie set. Um, it does have potential. Uh, That's be, not bad. Pirates of the Caribbean Pirate 3. Movie or something like that. <laughs> it's coming. Come yeah. on. They're going to make that for sure. <laughs> The second is uh, you could possibly just tie it up to shore and make it into some sort of a commercial venture. You know, a it's, it's too big for a plant, uh, like a robo planter. It's way too big. Oh no, for that. no, no! I'm thinking of a a, a raw bar, as or a raw faith bar. <laughs> I sure but that would go contrary to George's uh, right, principles. Right. Well, uh, you know, uh, seems to me that uh, you know it's fraction fraction of a way to being a church already. So why not make it official? Uh, That's that, true. That could that could be a thing yeah. to do. Yeah, walk on the water. Ron Faith has done a little bit of sailing. You know, they've tried to escape the Gulf of Maine twice. They've sailed from uh, Rockland to Jonesport and back a time or two. But essentially, she hasn't really made her, her maiden voyage yet. Uh -huh. You know, she hasn't successfully got where she was going yet and uh, certainly hasn't um, come close to fulfilling the mission. And it's, uh, what, three years or so in the water now, uh -huh. I believe. So she's aging, but not... Um, Again, hasn't, hasn't really been baptized in a way, so it's an interesting problem George has there. I urge anybody to say hello to George. George is imminently approachable and, mm. uh, you know, nice people. And, you know, let's take it from there see what happens. Mm. Yeah. 
And what about the bus? The bus, uh, I have to admit, I haven't checked up on it for probably a couple of months now. Last time I did it, he was more or less in the same situation, hoping for money. Yeah, yeah. So um, I will uh, make, an, make an effort to uh, catch up on that before the next boat talk and give you an update on that. Yeah, to either project, you get to, uh, you know, cost bucks to uh, do such a thing. If we can explain ourselves again, the bus is called Wheel C, and it is a uh, school bus conversion which is meant to uh, circumnavigate the world on land and water. A guy named Mark Rorig is doing this in Louisville, Kentucky, launched in the Ohio River. And Mark, uh, you know, uh, may come off sounding like a wingnut to people who, uh, you know, would worry about such things, sailing a uh, school bus around the world. But we had Giff, one of my favorite little boat talks uh, moments, is we had Giffy Full here, a uh, world-famous boat surveyor, when they needed to find out if old Ironsides would sail. USS Constitution, they call Giffy, so he might... He might be a good hand to judge whether a school boat can go around the world. School bus. So, uh, school boat. Good yeah, one. Yeah. Like so, uh, Giffy, we talked. I, I handed him some stuff from the internet. I said, Giffy, we're going to talk to this guy, this fellow, this, this guy this morning. You want, might want to read this. He's, he's not going to like to talk to me, he says. Okay. And at the end, Giffy, uh, after Mark talked about welding the differential on at 90 degrees and blah, 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 and uh, this, that, uh, he can talk he can talk a blue streak. Giffy says, well, good luck to you, and we'll see. Yeah. And he sort of won him over. And Mark's dream, uh, he fully admits that, you know, it might kill him, but he's he's off to do it anyway. Right. Well, so. that, that, that's a real dream uh, where you, uh, where you're, you're willing, your life is, Part of the part of the gamble. Yeah, yeah. Isn't it interesting though how people can be affected by other people's dreams, inspired mm. or outraged? Even mm. you know, and how can you be outraged at somebody's dream? Pretty easy from here to look at it and say it's well, a dream is quite quite easily could slip into a nightmare. <laughs> but that's your updates there. Okay. Well, thanks very much. Thank love you. your program. Thank you, Fred. Good morning, Fred. We have another caller. Let's go right to that. Good morning. Welcome to Boat Talk. Ah. Uh, I think maybe they may have given Hello? up on... Oh, good. yes, you are there. Good. Welcome to Boat Talk. To what? Boat Talk. Did you want to talk to Boat no, Talk? No, I wanted to talk to somebody about listings. Oh, you can't You can't uh, talk to anybody with a listing without uh, asking a boat question yeah. first, there. You, what do you know about you're boats? On, you're on the wrong line, and we apologize for that. Okay, what's the right line? Uh, I try 469-6600. 469-6600. Sixty-six hundred is the office line here. You you've just called into the middle of a live talk show about boats. Oh, okay. Yeah. Well, good luck on the boat show. Oh yeah. Okay. Yep. Happy sales to you. Thank you. you. <laughs> well, that's that. Again, the number one eight six 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 two five nine three seven eight. If you'd like to ask any boat questions, anybody can come down the uh, dock and kick the boat here. Uh, kick the keel. We. Uh, there's a couple other things to mention. For instance, one of our um, uh, favorite stories, uh, I think one of our greatest hits around boat talk, is the Skip Strong in peril story. Skip was a uh, oil tanker captain, a very young one in his early 30s, when he came upon a uh, tug with a uh, barge in tow in, uh, in a May Day situation off the coast of Florida in a tropical storm. Skip was in a loaded oil tanker, 10 million gallons, less than a mile from a reef, way less uh, deep than he was, yeah, and he, was he rescued this uh, tug in towboat, uh, uh, tug in the uh, tow that it had, in the process winning the largest marine salvage award in history because the tug was towing a space shuttle booster, and uh, you know they're, they're kind of irreplaceable. Um, 
He did that with some intense seamanship. They maneuvered uh, to try to uh, get a line to the towboat. They failed a couple of times, and then the, the successful time, in 20-foot seas, they handed the line from the oil tanker to the tugboat. That's no easy feat. Think about this oil tanker. It has 30, 36 feet, I believe it was, under the water. Yeah. Try to maneuver this thing around in 20-foot seas, high winds. Less than a mile from a 27-foot shallow spot. Yes. It's and uh, they successfully, really successfully did that. Now, 300 miles west of India just last month, a Japanese tanker came ac- across a uh, small freighter called the Amar. And the Japanese tanker maneuvered to try to help the freighter. Ran into it. Spilled 1.4 million gallons of oil. It's not that easy. Mm-hmm. And Skip Strong, the, uh, one of the great punchlines to that story is, uh, you know, upon reflection, uh, possibly his age contributed to his willingness to try that, and that if he was a more mature, experienced tanker captain, he might never have tried that. Yeah. You know? We have, we have um, several more callers. So let's, let's get to that. Let's Good get morning. right to that. Good morning. Welcome to Boat Talk. Good morning, morning. Captain. Yes, good morning. How are you this morning? Oh, we're uh, high and dry right now. Good, good, good. Hey, that's <laughs> nice lead in there, Captain Allen. Uh, I've got a shout-out to your listeners and you as well. And I was wondering if there might be an update on a particular sailing vessel that went aground on Butter Island Saturday night night prior to those uh, electrical storms coming in. Actually, it went, on, went aground ooh, midday uh, Saturday, and we followed the situation on... Uh, uh, VHF radio. They were dealing with a Coast Guard, and uh, Captain was unaware if he should really or wasn't sure if he wanted to commit to a commercial assist um, or see if somebody else could help him get pumps onto the sailboat. They were aground probably mid tide, uh, low tide coming in at 7 o'clock. Uh, following it through the radio, they um, did have a good Samaritan who was coming in to help him out. It was a rather large wooden sailboat, and uh, commercial assistance did show up as well. And uh, I got the thought of calling, uh, one, curiosity, but two, then also the captain's um, conversation with a possible Good Samaritan as to the uh, Coast Guard's uh, ability to assist. And uh, his comments over the radio was not really didn't come across as the most complimentary uh, for the Coast Guard, which uh, you brought me back to earlier raw faith, where uh, definitely there is a, a big uh, uh, difference of opinions of um, what the Coast Guard can do to, to help a boat in distress and whatnot. So this is uh, for your listeners, if anyone's out there uh, and do know what happened uh, with the sailboat. Again, uh, it was going to be high and dry around 7 o'clock, had those heavy thunderstorms come through Saturday night, and uh, just wonder if she got, got off with the tide around midnight or so. Um, I'm not familiar with that, but hopefully somebody else out there is, and, and we'll get a call now. What do you suppose their complaint with the Coast Guard was, that they uh, handled their boat roughly or that they uh, weren't, weren't polite and helpful? Well, the Coast Guard hadn't got to them yet. They were dealing with a uh, marine operator for the Coast Guard out of Rockland, um, but I think they were speaking of a, a past uh, uh, situation that they might have got in where they needed Coast Guard assistance. And uh, so I, I can't answer uh, assuredly on that question, but it was uh, it was over on Butter Island. Uh, but, you know, in a, a rough position uh, where you may be, you know, uh, it wasn't a life-threatening one because they'd anchored in too close. Uh, it was over on the beach at Butter Island, 
and uh, they're wondering about the uh, boat uh, actually flooding when the tide came back in if uh, the ribs and, and planks uh, on either the port or starboard side where she'd be resting on would uh, mm. would crack uh, under the weight and the stress and then uh, not floating rightly having the water come in but it was it was very interesting listening to it because there were a number of mariners who did call out with uh, suggestions to you know block all open drains close all seacocks um, batten down the hatches so to speak so when the uh, tide did come in prior to floating the boat uh, your water uh, emergence uh, uh, wouldn't be that bad to uh, to, to uh, stop you from floating. But the question was if the uh, uh, framing and planking was going to give way if she you know rested up on a, a sharp rock or something like that. But uh, there was a captain who uh, did find a uh, uh, an electric pump and a gas pump and uh, set forth at about uh, I would say about four o'clock four thirty on a Saturday afternoon from Castine to uh, assist this person, and, and then they did have CTO show up, and I think there was a commercial uh, 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 assist that went out to him, but we lost a contact with him after about well, when the storm came through, after around 6 or 7. So. Mm-hmm. Interesting, and again, maybe somebody out there knows more about the story, and uh, there is an interesting nexus, I guess is the word nowadays, between commercial and public assistance there. Um, Some people think that the Coast Guard can uh, be unseamanlike sometimes, especially around uh, shiny, expensive paint and, uh, you know, fancy uh, varnish and stuff like that. I've heard that in the past, but uh, other people complain about the uh, expense of the other guys and think the Coast Guard uh, sometimes should haul them off for free at the same time uh, not scratching it. If you call the Coast Guard mostly as a rule of thumb, unless you're really in peril, they will pretty much say to you, we don't do tow. We're, we're not a towing service. If your life is in peril or something like that, that's a different story. We'll come and rescue you, you as a person. But as far as uh, rescuing a boat, that's not really their 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 service. Yeah, interesting. Well, Howard, I, uh, I thank you for calling this morning, and, and uh, we'll see if anybody knows any more and can add more on the Butter Island grounding story. We'll keep our ears open. Watch out for them rocks. I've just been reading about, uh, you know, the 15, 16, 1700s around these waters here, and you think there was no buoys. It was just as foggy. Um, You know, none of these video game uh, plotters and everything. How the heck did they get around like that? Well, they went pretty slow back then, They did a lot of scouting, too, in the smaller boats. Lead lines. Very impressive. Now... I guess we've made the phone ring this morning we here. We are. Let's get right up here. the number one more time, uh, 1-866-625-9378. We have uh, George McKay from Raw Faith standing by, I believe. Good morning. Welcome. Good morning. Is this George? This is George. How are you doing? Good. How are you, Good, George? Good, George. You hear us talking about you this morning? Yes, I did. And, and Alan, I did send you a reply the, uh, the day I got the... Uh, the inquiry, I had sent a reply to you. Matter of fact, I sent two replies. Huh. And so I did want to let everybody know that uh, uh, if they do send a question to me through uh, Ask the Captain on the website, I do reply to those. All right. Well, I'm sorry. Somehow it got lost between there and here. Well, if you have the time, I would be glad to tell you, you and all your listeners, what uh, uh, an answer to your, your question was. Sure. Go right ahead. Um, oh. Maybe I should say the question. Oh, I, I believe I did, basically. But, yeah, well, you, you, you asked a couple of different questions, and, and you made a lot of assumptions. And one of the assumptions you made was because you said, because the ship has so much drag and so much uh, free board, maybe I ought to just uh, sell it and get something smaller. The reason why we built Raw Faith, as in designed and built her anyways, is um, 
with any design, there's a series of compromises of comfort versus speed and, and all of that. And um, uh, you, there's been many people before me that have tried retrofitting schooners to make them accessible, and they just haven't been able to do it. The outfit in England that sails two, two accessible ships, the Jubilee Trust, you can check their website. They've been in existence for over 20 years, and in the beginning, they tried retrofitting many ships and was unable to do it. And so they ended up building two themselves. The first one cost them uh, 14 million. The second one cost them over 24 million. Millions, you said. Millions. Wow. And so when you talk about raw faith and what raw faith's doing, what, what we're trying to do here is to try to uh, bring awareness to uh, to an issue and try to provide accessible sailing. And uh, so to just sell raw faith and assume I can go out and buy something, that's the wrong assumption. That's not going to happen. And so then when you talk about the compromises in the design, well, of course she's going to look different than the, uh, than your typical schooner that everybody else is sailing. But as far as the excess freeboard, um, there's a book out there called uh, Tall Ship, and it, people that register their boat in it, you know, uh, they did give a description of it. There's, there's over 20 of them in that book that have more freeboard than Roth 8, and uh, the bounty being just one of them. And yet there, there doesn't seem to be a whole entourage of people um, uh, clamoring for them to sell the uh, sell the bounty, get rid of it because it's got too much freeboard. Can we go back to this uh, Jubilee Trust organization in England? You said, yeah. Are, are they trying to do a similar thing to, to your vision to take handicapped people and their family sailing? And it sounds you just I think uh, talked about forty million dollars they've thrown at the problem. Have they succeeded? Well, I, I wouldn't call it a problem. I'd say they're very successful. They're book solid the whole time with both ships. Both of their vessels are significantly larger than Roth Faith, and they have a completely different vision than what I do for Roth Faith. Roth Faith is family-focused, family-orientated, and they're not. They, uh, their mission is they take a disabled individual, whether they're blind uh, or any disability, and they'll take them in an able-bodied helper as a pair. They take many pairs of people out sailing for uh, five to eight to ten days at a time, I guess, where Roth Faith is talking, taking just a couple of different families out. Do they, you uh, mentioned a website. Do you know what that is, George? Their website, I believe, is uh, jubileetrust.org. Okay. Uh, just do a search in Google on Jubilee Trust or something, and, and uh, I'm sure they would come up. Interesting. Is it fair when I say that raw faith has changed your life? Is that fair? Oh, very much so. It changed my life a great deal. A great deal. That, 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 and, that, and that was uh, a very accurate uh, um, assessment you made of that. Um, I was also going to say, Alan, that when we talk about raw faith sailing ability and you talk about a lot of drag, I don't know where that's coming from because um, uh, we have taken raw faith out a few times. Not nearly, like you said, we, she hasn't really been on her maiden voyage yet. She hasn't been properly rigged. We knew that when we went out. Um, but we do need to raise money to do that. And when you talk about the amount of money, um, we can get new masts, uh, Douglas firs, two length, two size, delivered to here in Rockland for eight grand. So that doesn't seem like a lot of money. We need about another five grand worth of rigging material, and uh, probably another five grand worth of uh, uh, additional ballast, and then we're ready to go again. So that doesn't seem like a, a tremendous nut to crack, but it is a lot when you don't have it. Uh, where are we at in that process, George? Um, well, we've got a, we've got uh, a few different uh, uh, fundraising programs that we're attempting to do. One of them, for example, one that I was trying to do was 
I was thinking about um, trying to do some fundraising down at the Maritime Museum because we built raw faith in the traditional, the old-fashioned way, carbon-and-a-half model, getting the lines. And I got a lot of slides and can do a nice presentation about that at the uh, Maritime Museum, but they responded back to me that they're afraid if I try to do anything down there, any, any kind of fundraising, they'll detract from their fundraising, and so they're not interested in having me down there. And so that was a, a big disappointment because I thought this would be good for, the, for everybody that's interested and as well as... Um, uh, you know, people that come in there for, for tourists and stuff just to talk about it. they got a lot of half models on display, and here I am talking about how we built the ship following the old process. So, so I thought that would have been uh, very good, but it didn't, didn't turn out. Uh, so we got some uh, longer-range plans, and as well as uh, going after some grants that we're uh, pursuing to try to get, a, get the money we need to uh, make it all come together. Summers, uh, let's face it, winding down, you, I would imagine, expect to stay the winter in Rockland Harbor. Well, the ship will definitely be in Rockland Harbor for the winter, and Rob and I are uh, most likely will not. What are you thinking, George? What's your plan, and can you leave the boat? Oh, yeah. We, she, she's got automatic ballast and pumps and everything, and so I'm not ballast, uh, automatic uh, bilge pumps and stuff, switches and stuff. Uh, so we, we could leave her with, without uh, any trouble, but I wouldn't, you know, I'd be back to check on her every few days anyways. We'd just stay with some friends. And that's, um, let's face it, you've spent, what, two winters on the boat now? Yep, yeah, yep. It, it's not exactly a, a treat, uh, uh, wintering on the ship in the winter. Water has to come aboard, firewood has to come aboard, groceries have to come aboard, you have to come aboard, it's, wow. Yeah, coming and going in the winter is a bear. Yeah, interesting. And again, not a lot of physical progress can be made in the wintertime. It's just, uh, you know, there's not much that can be done. This is the season. This season's passed. And so, uh, you know, raise funds this winter and, and have at it next year. Is that fair? Right, right. That's, that's the plan. And, and you're in survival mode when you're on the ship in the winter. That's about all you're doing, spending your time surviving. But um, I wanted to answer Alan's question in regards to the ship's sailing ability. And, and all that drag, because um, last time we were out, we were sailing, we were doing over nine knots on the GPS. So I, I believe that to be an accurate uh, measurement of what uh, our speed was. And um, uh, we weren't in a, a considerable amount of wind either. I would say the wind was 20 to 25 knots, and we were doing about nine knots. Well, the wind was on our port quarter, so, uh, so it was pushing us some. When we lowered the sails and we had just a storm jib up and we reefed the forward sail 10 feet, um, that slowed the ship down to under three knots. So the sea wasn't pushing us, you know, extremely hard either uh, because we still had sail up, and, and uh, I don't know what, what we would have been just drifting at with the sea just pushing us. I didn't get that measurement. But clearly, Rafaith was sailing over six knots, which exceeds any of my expectations from uh, the way I've designed her. And so... I don't, I don't consider that a tremendous amount of drag if she'll do that in, the, in just a moderate wind. Right. Fair, fair enough, and I'd like to point out once again, uh, literally anything will sail, and uh, to me it's a question of how handy. You know, um, for instance, I have an old Rangeley boat that I put a lobster boat riding sail in the bow seat. It has no centerboard. It has no, has no center of uh, resistance there. It only goes downwind, but it sails delightfully. Um, you know, but it, I couldn't get out of somebody's way if I had to. And handiness, I guess, is the um, you know is is the criteria. Um, you know, well, there are several issues with that as well. First of all, we haven't done ship trials with raw faith with a proper complement of sails or anything else to be able to say exactly how she's going to handle. There are a lot of people out there who want to hit the the hull from the waterline above and just how she handles and how she, how she maneuvers and stuff. 
Um, and there was the uh, situation where we went out on a brief trip with the harbor master, and, and then uh, he proceeded to con- condemn the ship. In that trip, they did not have the sails properly. They had them pulled right in tight to the mast, and the jib was slack at least six feet. So there's no wonder she didn't make her way into the wind and people wanted to condemn her off of that. We have had experienced sailors, as well as Rob and I, many times out sailing, and we believe we, we sail 60 degrees off the wind without any problem. She'll do that. Now, is she as maneuverable as when I watch these schooners out here? No. Why do you think schooners replace these kinds of ships? Because of what, that's, that's one of the very issues. Um, but that doesn't mean that they're, they're better for the mission of what raw faith has or that raw faith is incapable of, of uh, uh, fulfilling her mission and being a, a safe and maneuverable vessel. I've said this before, too, George. It's all talk until you've got enough time sailing that thing around that nobody can dispute what you do with it. And, uh, you know... Yeah. Absolutely, absolutely. And that's all I'm asking is, is that uh, if people really want to talk, then they, they should give the ship an opportunity for us to go through ship trials, make the adjustments we need to make on the ship, and uh, then if they want to condemn her because uh, whatever, then, then at least we have some facts to base that on. But right now we don't have any of that, and people are just jumping on a bandwagon to, uh, to try to condemn the ship, and I, I just don't think that's at all fair. You know, and you're condemning it when you talk, Alan, when you talk about, well, why maybe I should just sell it. You know, and uh, that's not going to happen. You know, I, I'm not going to sell the ship. If, if we can use raw faith as a fundraising vessel to raise $14 million to have a ship built by a professional shipyard to fulfill her mission of what she's trying to do, then, then she's a flaming success in doing that. You know, and so there's, there's just a, uh, a tremendous amount of things that haven't been done that we haven't even attempted to do uh, and still await us, us out there to do it, you know. And uh, so... And then, then when you talk about the schedule, me being behind schedule, we've only been at this. Like you said, the ship's been in the water since uh, 2003, so it's been three years, but there's just been my son and I. And so we have accomplished a tremendous amount, in my opinion, in just that short period of time. Um, would, I, would I wish we were further ahead? Sure I do. And people that, that are unhappy with that, I would say, well, you know, Money has hampered us a great deal. So if somebody wants to help out, help us with some fundraising or help with donations, that would be fine. And in answer to that also, I would say we've, we've raised the people that have donated over, you know, 50 bucks to us in, in uh, the six years we've been trying to do this. You can count them on one hand, with the exception of my close personal friends. I have some close friends I've been friends with for 30 years that have made substantial donations. But else goes, we just don't seem to uh, attract people into uh, donating. And, and for whatever reason that is, that's, that's just the way it is. So people want to, I've got uh, some criticism on the website from people who seem to think that, uh, uh, that I'm taking advantage of people. I don't think that I've taken advantage of anybody. Everybody who's donated knows the status of the ship. And uh, uh, if they don't, they certainly can ask. You know, I welcome anybody to, to ask me to come out. Uh, you know, to uh, talk or, or uh, give me a call. The whole fundraising thing, obviously, is sort of the software, if you will, sort uh, side of the business, and and you can work at that in the winter, and and I guess that's what you got to get at. And we wish you the best of luck, George. Right, we've we've had trouble with the board. We need to expand the board of directors, and uh, I've had trouble uh, getting volunteers on the board and getting the board uh, to to do fundraising. While I've been out here on the ship, it's been difficult for me to. Uh, 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 run the boards. So we're looking for an executive director for the board, even you know, as well as uh, uh, some, some people who are willing to put some effort into fundraising. 
that, so that we can ultimately accomplish the goal of uh, taking uh, families out sailing. So, uh, George, this is Alan. Back to uh, the drag question. Um, by your own admission, the underbody of the boat is fairly rough and um, no bottom paint and just a tar mostly and, and planks. And then um, you also told me a couple of years ago that you, in your design, you looked at some old um, barkentines and basically used those, but then you added 30 feet to the width of the boat for increased stability which also increases your drag tremendously because you're making the boat that much wider. So that's my concern is that you're, uh, you're making quite, quite a big chunk of water that has to be pushed out of the way to make the boat go forward. And my concern is that when you're going to be going to windward that you won't have enough uh, sail power to be able to make it go forward uh, in, into the wind. So you know, even if you do your, your uh, sail trips going out and taking families, You'll be able to go downwind just fine, but you'll be uh, unable to return into the wind. Well, and the, we, like I say, we've had uh, people who've had a lot of experience out with us on a couple of trips, and they have measured along with me that we do 60 degrees off the wind, which says we do make way into the wind. I've had a marine architect suggest to me, he said, if you have any trouble sailing into the wind at all, George, all you need to do is put a fin on the bottom of the keel, a horizontal fin that extends six to eight inches out from each side of the keel. And uh, that would uh, enable you to sail into the wind with the best of the ships. Uh, we haven't done that. We haven't gone through ship trials. We haven't done all the things we need to do. Our sails are tremendously undersized for the size of the ship. So we, we probably, before we ever uh, finish the commissioning process on the ship, need a full complement of sails. And, um, and, and that would help us in our maneuverability as well, having, having the more sail power to be able to do that under light winds. Um, and, uh, but we haven't added 30 feet. The ship is only 26 feet wide uh, in total, so she is slightly wider, uh, slightly, uh, moderately wider than what you would find a schooner, obviously. And your, your assessment as far as the bottom and everything, you're right about that. We don't have bottom paint on her, and she does have more drag. But again, I'm not trying to, trying to break any sailing records, and that drag, whether it slows me down for sailing into the wind, I haven't noticed that. If I painted the bottom and, and as, you know, smooth her all out and fiberglass the bottom or whatever I, whatever I do with her, if that comes out of the, uh, the commissioning process and ship trials that we need to do that, then we'll, we can do that. We can haul her out, hopefully, get the money, haul her out, and, and make those adjustments and do that. And we still will be considerably less than $14 million, you know. So we, we'd be way ahead of the game. But the ship sailing at uh, uh, clearly was sailing over uh, uh, six, seven knots on her own. I, I, you know, I'd be very happy with that. Well, you're still saying six or seven knots, and that's downwind. I don't think you'd be able to make that number um, going into the you're wind. Ab you're absolutely right. We don't. We don't. We were, uh, uh, I don't remember how fast we were going into the wind at the time. There, there was a uh, situation where we had a, a very, uh, uh, the bottom was, had a lot of growth on it, and we were sailing into the wind going into Jonesport, and she just creeped along. But uh, she she did very well. We lost no ground to the to the uh, uh, leeward side, so she did very well. But she just creeped along. Let's use and the we had a foot of growth on the bottom of her too. So that after we cleaned the bottom, she she just does a lot better. Let's use the nexus word again to describe what we're talking about here. And once again, it's all talk until it gets uh, demonstrated. 
you got uh, you got your boat. You know it'll do what it'll do. You got your captain. Uh, he can do what he can do. And then you got your circumstances. Uh, sometimes a bad wind blows against a, a bad tide at the wrong time, and, and sailing vessels through the ages have found themselves, uh, you know, handy and unhandy boats find themselves in bad corners uh, repeatedly. And and again, it's it's a combination of the the ability of your boat, the experience, the ability of the captain, and the situation you find yourself in. And we wish you the best of luck, and and uh, you know, would like to see you practicing at it. So I guess that's the goal. And um, you know, there we are. Yep. Okay, George. Well, thank you for calling, and uh, keep in touch. Yep. Okay. Talk to you later. I hope that answers most of your questions, Alan. And uh, like I said, I sent you two replies. It looked like you they came from the radio station, so when I replied, it went back to the radio station. Somebody there must not be passing them on to you. Uh, well, no, I did check, and uh, the radio station didn't receive them, but that, that's that's fine. As long as we get the answer from you, that's what we were after. So. Okay. George McKay is the captain and uh, designer builder of Raw Faith, which if you drive by Rockland Harbor, you cannot fail. But notice it is a very large uh, galleon, uh, I think Nina Pina, uh, Pina Santa Maria kind of thing. Bounty, as is, is yeah, George said. Um, out in Rockland Harbor, and, and we urge you to say hello to George if you get a chance. So there. Somebody else standing by. Let's give the phone number one more time, too, just in case. one 625 Good morning. Welcome to Boat Talk. Yes, good morning. Uh, this is Henry calling from Brooksville, and I uh, I was interested if uh, you may have had... I'm looking at the recent Point East uh, uh, magazine, and they had a recent uh, article about the uh, Martin family that's uh, done some sailing in northern waters, and they've got a video out, and I wondered if you might have had him on the show, and uh, if anyone has some comments about this uh, DVD they've come out with about their sailing in the Arctic Circle. We have not had them on, but I've thought about it. I was driving a back road in Bristol, Maine one day, and I saw these people in their yard. I know where they live. And uh, I went by and thought, uh, I don't have time now, but next time I go by, I'm going to talk to them and invite them, and they weren't there next time. And it has been a thought. They are a uh, family that, uh, again, did a circumnavigation in a quite handy way, and, and I believe there is a uh, film about it. Um, it's a good suggestion. We that's a that's a good idea, and let's work at, at getting the Martins board here in Boat Talk. Thank you for that. Yeah, yeah. I've I've uh, spoken with Dave down at the yard where he works there in Round Pond, and uh, been aboard uh, their steel uh, sloop driver, and uh, haven't read the book, but uh, I've seen some things on the website, and it's it's a remarkable story about family of five living in Norway and all that. So I, I encourage you to yeah, they're nice folks. Get them on the radio show. Thanks very much for that suggestion, Henry. We appreciate that, and we always like uh, suggestions about what we should be doing. Boat talk, in a way, is great fun, and, and uh, we could work harder at it. We sort of, uh, you know, just kind of do it. And matter of fact, Alan and I talked the other day. Decided we just sort of wing it and got got wing here five is our thing. Five minutes before we went on, and didn't even really talk about it. Here we are. So that's how we do boat talk, and we do appreciate the suggestion. Well, I love the show, and uh, just just uh, look forward to uh, hearing from you about that and anything else coming up. All right, Thank you, thanks Henry. for the suggestion, Henry. Yep. Thank you. One eight six 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 two five nine three seven eight. Anybody standing by at the present time? I don't think so. No. Well, you know. Well, but he's already blown away 45 minutes, only 15 minutes left in the yep. boat talk, and still many things to talk about. Another one of our favorite uh, boat talk stories is our friend Steve Callahan, local, uh, he's in the Ellsworth uh, area. 
Steve uh, was sailing his homemade 21-foot sloop across the uh, Atlantic Ocean and uh, run upon something at the night in the night and sank. Steve spent 76 days in a life raft, wrote a great book called... Uh, Adrift. Adrift, yes, a bestseller. We've had uh, Steve on Boat Talk, and um, I thought that was, again, one of our more interesting episodes. Here's a, a, a new story that uh, may eclipse what Steve went through. Uh, some fishermen from San Blas, Mexico, on the western shore of Mexico, they get in little uh, fiberglass boats, they go out without boards, and they fish for sharks and such. These guys went out in November. They were five of them in a 25-foot fiberglass boat. They were found off of the Marshall Islands in uh, the middle of the Pacific, 5,000 miles away in August, November to August, 5,000-mile drift. Um, out of the five who set off, there were three still alive. And uh, if this is true, there are some uh, questions about the story. Yeah, they now hold the ocean survival record. There are some interesting factors to that. Uh, culturally, they were probably pretty well disposed to survive. They were uh, kind of third-worldly people anyway. They, mm -hmm. they live, let's, let's say, uh, basically to start off with. A survival expert points out that uh, they were in warm waters. They were also in a rainy uh, belt, so they got fresh water. And they had fishing gear on board. Yeah, and as soon as your boat, uh, the bottom of your boat starts to follow up with grass and barnacles and stuff, you will attract fish that see that as a habitat. And we'll, Steve had uh, Dorados, uh, little dolphins, follow him across the ocean, and he ate them and caught and ate them as he went, and then sacrificed them uh, to his, his rescuers were fishermen. Mm -hmm. He says, take those fish, they're my buddies, you take them in, and, and uh, they did that, so these guys also, um, again, they're uh, more disposed to uh, kind of rough living. As uh, the survival expert points out, a lot of people, even if they can catch a bird, are not really capable of, of uh, killing it and consuming it raw. These guys did, apparently. And they had a Bible aboard. Their faith uh, apparently come into that as well. So well, possibly eating the birds probably made them more gullible. Ooh, he's the punny one. There's a phone call. Get me out of this. <laughs> one eight six 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 two five nine three seven eight. There are some questions about those uh, those guys from Mexico, if they were really out that time extent of time that they say. But I guess we'll really never never really get know the answer for that one. Yeah, a Chinese guy named Poon Lin spent 120 days on a raft in World War II. He really owns the record. Steve Callahan spent 76 days. Uh, Captain Bly was out for 60-plus, and these guys over five months. These so. are all records you don't want to try to beat. No, none of them had a good time. Is there somebody on the phone? Good morning. Welcome to Boat Talk. Who are we speaking with? This is Oliver from Ellsworth. Morning, oh, morning, Oliver. What's up this morning? Oh, well, I've uh, recently heard about and read about uh, a boating accident um, that happened over in Sorrento. Um, I don't know if you read it in the Ellsworth American. I um, must have. Remind me. Well, uh, a group of four people went out in a 16-foot runabout um, over to Bar Harbor from Sullivan to eat dinner, obviously, uh, in the evening time. And uh, we're trying to navigate back to Sullivan with a flashlight. <laughs> in the dark. In the dark. Was it foggy, too? I don't think so. Yeah, it wouldn't uh, have helped anyway. Right, yeah, it's a flashlight. Um, <laughs> so what they ended up doing was uh, making it to... Sorrento and following the shoreline, and they must have been going at a good clip because they were all injured. 
um, they hit a ledge at night, you know, following the shoreline and uh, <laughs> with a flashlight. That's just, it all boils down to common sense, and I wondered if you guys had any comments on, um, I've had an idea for a long time about the fact that you need a driver's license to keep you safe and to keep everybody else safe on the road, right? Shouldn't you have to have a boating license? No, if you can buy the boat, you're the captain. Well, I've been in the marine industry for, you know, well over 12, 15 years. And, uh, well, not well over, but anyways, it just I never ceases to amaze me the, the amount of people that get themselves into trouble by just not having the brains enough. <laughs> well, my, my first comment would be to I would wonder how many cocktails they had during their supper. Uh, apparently it was not uh, the, 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 the uh, operator of the boat hadn't drank. There's a uh, similar incident in uh, another, pa- I think it was the, uh, I forget what paper I read this in, but anyway, some uh, people, I believe, Islesboro, yeah. went over to Camden possibly for dinner, and they were coming back, and they ran aground again in a whaler at speed, I think, and they didn't even know where they were right. when they called the Coast Guard. Uh, We've run aground. No, we don't know where we are. Uh, could you please come help us? <laughs> yeah. And, uh, yeah, similar thing. Well, no chart, no GPS, no... You know, I mean, I realize that GPS costs a lot of money, but it charges $20. <laughs> I did that one yeah. night myself. I uh, took a young lady on a motorboat ride up to Ellsworth, you know, yeah. and uh, it was a beautiful afternoon. When we came back out of the river, we were looking at a solid wall of fog, a uh, non-functional compass, and it's getting dark. Yeah. And I tried to bump down the shore, and I think I got into Mill Cove at one point because uh, somebody came out, flashed the porch lights at us, and while we're saying, well, uh, you know, they, that looks like they're uh, trying to talk to us, then got in the car and started flashing the lights and honking the horn. I made a 180 and got out of there. Yeah. And I found a boat moored a mile past my house and got home, but that's not a good job, bumping around in the dark. Well, and to follow the shoreline, uh, you know, at, at high tide, you, you would ask one, uh, okay, you've got 12 feet of water. Look around you. How many 12-foot rocks do you see? Yeah. Plenty. <laughs> um, so, and I, I just, if nothing else, uh, some kind of boater safety course that is required. It'd be hard to enforce, but at least it would be something that said, "Hey, this guy has been told the difference. They this make guy hundred... has been at least halfway educated on the fact that you don't go for dinner with a flashlight." It's an <laughs> interesting an idea. Uh, they make hunters take courses, and uh, yeah, you know, uh, I like to think that. A lot of the boats that don't seem to ever get used, possibly, I know that some boats intimidate their owners. That's that's just a fact, you know. And yeah. some people uh, may have the common sense to know that they they're not good enough to go and do that. And yeah. um, you know, a lot of other people are on the edge. And you know, even I, I feel I'm I'm fairly capable, and I get in trouble sometimes. You know, we all do. Yeah, this yeah. just comes with the territory, so yeah. good luck with any of that. Oliver, we got people standing by. Okay. We're glad to talk to you this morning. Thanks take, for calling. Take care, guys. Thanks. See you, Oliver. Good morning. Who's waiting on the uh, dock here to get aboard Boat Talk? Yeah, my name's S.P. Ziegler. I live over in Montville. I have a question for you, fellas. I have an 18-foot uh, wooden piece of lap streak uh, with a sprinzel. friend built it years ago, and uh, by the nature of my work, I just it needs to be moored. It needs to swell. And I don't know how many months I'll be home during the summer, or, you know. And I was wondering if there's organizations until I retire. I don't want to give it away, and I don't want to sell it, because I have 
you know, some connection because my friend built it. And I was wondering if there's any organizations that in the summer need boats for kids and be willing to, you know, maintain it for the summer and then uh, at some point give it back to me. Boy, that's tricky. Well, yes, okay. there are. I mean, <laughs> se- several of the high schools in the area do have sailing programs. I, you know, uh-huh. you might contact one closest to you. There is also the risk of uh, how much use it'll be getting with a bunch of teenagers ramming it around. But um, how about the Cambodian people down in Belfast, your nearest harbor, basically in Montville? There, um, but I do have. Um, see, I'm in the Merchant Marine, so I'm gone, and I don't have a whole heck of a lot of connection with a lot of people around here. So. Uh, do you have a phone number for him? I don't. We don't right here. Come Boating is uh, an organization right down on the Belfast waterfront, okay. the, the town marina there. And they are the people that have the rowing gigs, and they'll take uh, you know, a crew of, I don't know, six or eight people row those boats, and uh, they take them out. Anybody can show up and, and access Come Boating. I believe if you went down to the harbor and asked the harbor master yeah, or even look them up in the phone book, uh, okay. you could score on that. And, you know, I was listening to the fellow earlier, and you were talking about complaining about the Coast Guard. Uh, what the hell is he doing there anyway? <laughs> Can he read a chart? I mean, he yep. couldn't have been in trouble, you well, know? As, as he said, it was, he was moored too close to shore to begin yeah. with, so, you know, you, you make your own trouble most of the time. Yeah. I hate to see the Coast Guard get dissed. I mean, they do some wrong things, but, boy. Oh, uh, no. You know, <laughs> yeah, those okay. guys work hard. Coast Guard, uh, you know, when we're putting in kudos for the Coast Guard, the whole Katrina thing. There's only one organization that come out of that looking good, and that was the United States Coast Guard. Yeah, well, um, they cover they cover the Merchant Marine spots when when we need them. Okay, thanks a lot. Well, uh, thank you for that call. We do have one more. We'll try to get to. Good morning. Welcome to Boat Talk. Yeah, hi. This is uh, Sunny calling from Belfast. Ah, uh, Sunny. Good to talk to you again. Um, I have replied for the last caller who had this, uh, the uh, the lap strike. He wanted someone to be able to use it. There you go. Go ahead. Well, in, in Belfast, there's uh, besides Cambodian, there's an organization called Sea Scouts, which one of my sons was a part of. Oh, good one, good one. Yeah, and he probably that'd be a good organization for him to contact to because uh, they would take care of the boat and you know use the boat and you know might be a good thing to do. Do you have him. contact information for Sea Scouts? Um, not no. The, the harbor master, Kathy Messier, would probably know. Okay, yeah. They're located down, um, down in the harbor right now, right Har- near, you know, where she's at. Right. Harbor masters are a great source of all kinds of information like this. So, great. Thank you for thank you for that call. You're welcome. Bye. Bye. Phone's still ringing here. Alan and I are wondering what we do this morning. We run out hour pretty quick. we got a stack here. We haven't even got a whole bunch do. of stuff we haven't even talked about. Like, uh, do New Hampshire lobsters taste better than Maine lobsters? That's just silly. We don't need to talk about that. Yeah. Just for instance, let, can we try to jam one more person aboard here? It was New, New Jersey lobsters taste better than Maine. Yeah, right, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Just ain't true. Good morning, yeah. real quick. Yeah, Good morning. Mike and Alice is Frank over in Lemoyne. Hey, morning, Frank. Frank. I want to mention I had many memorable trip with Bill Crow going from Baja back to Goolsboro with a flashlight and cocktails. Bill, <laughs> Bill, <laughs> Bill Crow, the founder of uh, Fisherman's Voice uh, newspaper, right. just uh, uh, deceased last uh, year, sadly enough, and a uh, fellow who had some experience and uh, was also a bit, Bill was a character. Exactly. You know, and I guess uh, some characters can survive that, and good luck to you, Frank. Yeah, see you, buddy. See ya. See you Friday night. <laughs> well, we're coming up right against the wall again. Time to... 
Pull in the sails of boat talk for one more month. Yeah, we didn't even talk about the new Hinkley convertible boat. They're oh, building yeah. a new 38-foot uh, runabout with no berths in it, no place to sleep, $850,000, the world's largest convertible top. Just like your Porsche or BMW, it's yep. 14 feet long. It's computerized, and uh, that's their new hope. They just laid off 60 people. And, uh, you know, they're not selling the power boats as uh, quick as they were in the jet boat days there of glory. And, you know, it's arguable uh, what's going on down there. But anyway, we didn't get to that or a bunch of other stuff. Boat talk, just too much fun. And we thank everybody for help. Yes, thank you all again. Until uh, next month, this is Alan Sprague and Mike Joyce for Boat Talk. And happy sales to you.